uh, you're leaving a lot on the table. And, I, and I've seen fire chiefs promote based on that process and totally discouraged by who they promoted. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. All right, Chief. Welcome to the Weekly Scrap number 34. Very excited to have you on. You've been making videos on your Facebook page for quite some time, and one of the ones you made a couple years ago was the first time I saw you, and it really resonated with me, and it's one of the reasons the scrap exists. And so okay. it's uh, pretty inspiring. I wanted to tell you that, and then uh, we'll talk about that a little more later. But go ahead, for everybody, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for that, and, uh, and congratulations on a successful podcast. You're doing fantastic. My name is Jason Hobelman. I am the fire chief at the Florissant Valley Fire Protection District, and we're in North St. Louis County. So St. Louis County surrounds St. Louis City, and we're on the north side of the city up there. Um, been a career firefighter for a little over 24 years. I've uh, been in the volunteer fire service. Um, not as active as I used to be since I, had, I moved, but uh, started in 1985 as a junior volunteer. So this is all I've ever done. Yeah. And then I like to teach and, and things like that, but, but that's, you know, wow. You said 85. Yeah. As a junior. Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome, man. That is, uh, that is yeah. a, now I want to follow up because one of the things you preach and teach is humility. And so I'm going to add on to your introduction. I hope you don't mind because you are the definition of leave it better than you found it with uh, two oh. books written specifically on firefighter <laughs> leadership that I know about. Uh, when I was doing research to interview you, I found like 40 articles on Fire Rescue One alone. Um, of course, the videos I mentioned earlier from your Facebook page, uh, FDIC, and then here recently starting last year, I believe, your online company officer courses and the battalion chief development courses and the strategy uh, guides, which um, my guys, I think they went to your first online company officer development course, uh, a group of lieutenants and captains from my department. So, Oh, no kidding. I think Good. they were in your inaugural uh, wow. Class. So anyway, that's uh, what I wanted to tack on to the introduction. Well, thank you. So I'll lead off with uh, your video that I mentioned earlier from 2018, Promote People, Not Processes. Yes. So that, that struck a chord with me. I mean, that was such, especially the, the, the latter half of it where you talk about um, we have to get subjective and start looking at people's character and who right. they are as people. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I believe in that 100%. And, and people take this the wrong way. And I get, I get, a, you know, I, I get two extremes uh, from, from that comment, but um, I believe in it. And uh, my, my department and my union leadership and my, our, our staff have believed in that. And, and I will preface it by saying that, you know, every organization is different, but if you, if you take it just for what it is and you only test people to a civil service exam or a third party written test, and then you go do um, whatever other part of the process that you do and, and, and you strictly, you strictly provide uh, decisions based only on um, points, uh, you're leaving a lot on the table. And, I, and I've seen fire chiefs, promote based on that process and totally discouraged by who they promoted. Yeah. Um, so, so, so to me, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's the same with hiring. You, you, we talk a lot in the fire service about culture 
and we can define that in a lot of different ways and people have different opinions of what it is, but it exists. It's there. And every department has its own. And quite honestly, every crew has its own and every company. I mean, you can go on down the line because it's based on beliefs and personalities and a lot of other things. Um, But there should be an overreaching culture for your organization and department that um, hopefully overrides a lot of those personal things when it comes right down to the important things. And if you don't at least consider who you're hiring and promoting in, in some of those regards, um, you're setting yourself up to have big problems, in, in my opinion, uh, because people matter. And, and oh, yeah. the way that they do things and the way that they think and the, their attitudes and their behaviors, those things matter. Uh, mm-hmm. And we talk about it and see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I could not agree. Like I said, that, that, when I, that was my first interaction with you was that video. And then, of <laughs> course, I, I devoured everything else since then and before then. And um, no exceptions leadership. Uh, it's a small book. It is a fire. It's what I call a firefighter friendly book. And um, we actually, it was our first book that me, I made battalion chief last year. So my captains and oh, my congratulations. Good for you. we all got a copy of the book. We all read it. Then we got together and we discussed it. And so uh, it, and it was, I chose the book because of the guys who aren't readers. It's not an intimidating. Um, right. It's very friendly. Like I said, you can pick it up, thumb through it, go anywhere. Uh, and so that was our the, the first book we chose to do as a group together to learn from. So, uh, well, thank you. Yeah, that book was interesting. A uh, little backstory on that book: I had uh, I had taken a lot of those antidotes and, and had them compiled for a long time. And that particular year, I got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And so I was sitting at home uh, recovering from surgery, and uh, that's when I put that book together. Uh, to wow. kind of keep myself from going stir crazy. Yeah. And, and it was, it was made that way on purpose. Um, and, and some of the, you know, some of the, the uh, reviews on it were negative because of the way it, it is, but it was purposely written that way for exactly the reason you talk about. It was meant to be something to flip through and, and not read from cover to cover. And um, I actually got the idea uh, of that kind of format um, from a book called Up the Organization uh, by a guy named Robert Townsend, who was a uh, back in the 60s and early 70s, a high-profile CEO. He took over Hertz rental car system and turned that company around and had a very um, anti-CEO attitude Okay. Uh, when it came to certain things, and that's kind of where it came from. It's a really good book, too, if you, you can find it pretty cheap on Amazon. What was the name of that? Up the organization. Up the organization by Townsend. I'm going to write yeah. it down real quick. Robert Townsend. Yeah. Townsend. And Sorry, it, he did notes. it a little. Bit. Yeah, he did it like um, he alphabetized his book. So if it was about uh, promotions, it was under chapter P, okay. and if it was about salaries, it was under S. And so th- that's how he put his book together. Gotcha. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty neat. No, that is. Uh, everything's good on the, uh, the the prostate cancer then. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. Let's follow yeah, up. Yeah. I want to make sure I didn't, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm moving good. on from that. Uh, online classes. The you, you started the, I think last year was your start of the officer development program and the battalion chief development program. Or have no. they been going on longer? The, cap, the company officer class has been going on maybe four or five years. Oh, okay. And then the battalion chief development class, which is kind of the administrative side, uh, it was probably three years ago. 
Okay. And then the battalion chief development, operational development class was about a year and a half ago, I think, year ago. Now, have they started. always been online or were they in person at first or? So the, uh, they all, they all were created from classes I do in person. Okay. Um, and, and I just kind of, um, condensed them down into a tolerable online version that doesn't get too, um, the battalion chief ones, there's more riding. I've had some people tell me it's like taking a college class, but there's no due dates. Uh, there's no real grades. Um, I get people that don't take it because their chiefs won't let them because it's not associated with a degree program or sure. official pro board or anything. But um, I'm not willing to jump through those hoops. That's not what the intent of those classes are. Right. And, and uh, people want to take them and, and gather something out of them. Um, fantastic if they're wanting to um, build a, a serious portfolio for certificates and, and all those things. It's probably just not the class that you're looking for. Now, I know our guys, uh, all of them, uh, to a man, had good things to say about it, said it provoked a lot of thought on stuff they hadn't even thought about uh, <clears throat> as company officers and, and especially on the training side of things where they were uh, what I know a lot of them were talking about. Um, the that, That's what I was bringing up was that the online courses got ahead of the curve on the COVID-19 almost. It's like because now everything seems to be jumping to – um, of course, with social distancing and the inability to get together with more than 10 people, almost everything has been pushed online. Right. Yeah. And um, I, I can't take full credit for that. There's a guy that that I work with and who's part of Engine House Training, Frank Lipsky, who several years ago uh, started toying with online classes. And, and he and I, interestingly enough, he and I, um, when we did, when we put together our first training division at Florissant several years ago, um, he and I were were two of the big creators of content and finding a system inside of our organization that would be met with as least resistance as possible and that was economical. And so he and I started putting together some classes, and as we put it together, we had people asking us how we did it. And we taught some classes on how to basically build a training program and division for free inside your fire department. And um, so then he started, he, he kind of started a modern fire instructor course, uh, which goes straight into apps and a lot of technology. Uh, he calls me brick and mortar. Okay. Because uh, I still, I'm not quite <laughs> to, to his level yet. And he makes fun of me, but I'm okay with that. I still use pen and paper. And, um, but, um, and so out of that, he said, hey, you really need to do your company officer stuff online. Yeah, you think there's a market for it. And I'm like, ah, eh, you know, I don't know. So I threw it out there and, and it's had a good, it's been well received since. Um, it's, oh. it's been updated two or three times in the time that I've started it. And, um, and so then I decided, well, I'll give the BC uh, thing a shot. And then I had people asking for the operational side of the BC thing. I did a, I did a first do tactics class last year. I didn't really like how it went. I'm not sure I'll do any more of those, but okay. it's hard to do. I don't know. I just may need to refine it a little bit. It's hard to do assignments. You know, it's right. hard to do um, validation things that, that, that are useful. And so um, I I'd probably need to revisit that. But I do have one that's in the works right now that with the COVID has slowed me down. It's for a new fire chief or new executive chief. So like uh, beyond battalion chief. Stuff. Okay. So even moving up. And that's something I wanted to ask you because I saw uh, as I was doing my research, you have promoted up to, are you the big dog now? I am. I'm the fire chief. I started uh, January of 19. Yeah. Okay. So you've been doing it for a year and a half now almost. Yeah. 
Yeah. How was that transition? Um, at times difficult. Um, it, it happened to say I was groomed would be probably, you know, partially inaccurate, but to say, you know, we're a fairly small department and my chief was very open with information. So I knew sometime down the road, it was a possibility that I'd have that opportunity. I thought that I'd have three or five more years to, 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 to worry about it. Right. Um, but he was at a point in his career and he left on really good terms and everybody loved him. And I would have been perfectly happy working the rest of my career for him as a battalion chief. Uh, but, uh, good, good for him because he's getting to enjoy retirement. He's, you know, he's doing wonderful and, right on. and enjoying his time off. Um, so, um, I wasn't really ready for it in the sense that, um, I saw it coming. Right. So, and it's, it's a switch. Um, I talk about it in my BC class, <clears throat> excuse me, that the first time that, uh, the engine quint was what it was what it is, but the house one truck came back from a call and, um, they, uh, they all back, I backed them in as a battalion chief and I backed them in and, you know, and, and they get off the truck and they're all laughing and whatever they're talking about. And I realized at that point that things were different, you know, and that, uh, that, that part of your career, I don't want to say it's over, but you're not in the cab of that truck anymore. No matter if you're going to the store, or if you're going to training or running a call, and when you go down the hall at my place to the, to the fire chief's office, uh, it's the same kind of transition that uh, the challenges obviously are that it's more administrative. Um, right. I don't, I can, but I don't run as many calls uh, because we have battalion chiefs and, and people that handle those things. And you don't want to, you know, it's a fine line of overstepping your authority and, and taking that away from them. Sure. Um, my chief didn't do it to me and, and I don't feel compelled to do it to them. Um, and they don't have fires when I'm there during the day. So it fixes that problem. But, um, uh, and, and going to a more strategic position, I think is probably the biggest, uh, you're truly strategic, not only operationally, but from an organizational standpoint. Right. Totally new set of challenges from that regard. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause you're, you're doing things that, uh, you're learning it all new, right? I mean, you can take all the classes in the world and have a, kind of an idea you know, it's kind of like this pandemic, right? You can take all the incident management classes you want, but when it happens, it's different, right? You know, it's different. And, um, you have, at least you have an idea what the terminology is, but when you're talking about trying to plan bond issues and how long that's going to stretch out and what capital improvements have priority over others and, um, the collective bargaining agreement that's coming up due at the end of this year, which I got a great shop. So that'd probably be fairly easy, but, but, but when you do those things, um, you, you have to look beyond this year and even next year, you have to look, how does that, how do those things look in five years right. uh, with the budget and the, and the possibilities like right now with the economic downturn, how does that impact 2021, 2022? And you're, you're, you know, we're looking at possible tax increase in 2024. Well, how does all this stuff change that if it does at all? You know, what's right. the temperament going to be if there's still not a complete economic recovery at that time? And so it, you look at those kinds of things and, and more data-driven information. And so you learn it while you go and you ask for help. No doubt about it. Um, just to pick your brain, because I don't get to talk to the head chief that often, but uh, every level of uh, – 
promotion, there seems to be a little more distance in the, the ability to build relationships. Or, it's not difficult. It takes more effort. Does that make sense? And it is does. that any different when you get to the, to the, the five bugles? Yes. Yes. Um, no doubt about it. And, you know, I remember before I moved into the office talking with some friends of mine about, hey, you know, I might jump on the ambulance every now and again with the guys or I might do this. That doesn't happen. Right. You just don't. It just doesn't happen. It's just not available to you most of the time because um, you're, you're constantly it just the dynamics just don't work out. But what I have done is and what our shop has done is when we hire somebody, um, I get a few hours with them a couple times during the orientation week. I usually take them to lunch and sit down and go over expectations and what our organization's about and ask them who, you know, do you have a wife or, you know, things you don't ask in an interview. Right. And, um, and, and we get to do that. Um, we're a small enough department that our, you know, our house one is attached to the, head, the administration building every morning, just about, I go down and, and at least have a cup of coffee with everybody That's or awesome. we'll eat breakfast with them. Um, I haven't gotten around to it, but I've, I've, I'm trying to make every shift in every house and buying them lunch. I've gotten three out of the nine done. Um, okay. You, you know, but, <clears throat> but it's hard. It, it, it is more difficult and it uh, doesn't matter how popular or how friendly you were with people before then you still rumors still circulate. Oh, yeah. You try to, you try to, <laughs> to, to, to stop them out when you can. Try to get ahead of them. People will make yeah, up their own narrative no matter what. You got to have thick skin. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, I got went down a rabbit hole there on the chief thing. But I want to ask you, uh, the most surprising thing you found doing the online courses as far as uh, the difficulties of, uh, like you said, assigning the assignments or what, what, what the challenges you haven't overcome that's different than teaching like in person? Yeah, the feedback, uh, providing feedback. And, and to be honest, most of the feedback I give is generic in nature unless it's something uh, – you'd be shocked that – uh, I can have 32 people from 32 different parts of the country and their answers are almost the same. Oh, really? Everybody's thinking the same thing. Everybody's got the same basic problems and challenges. Uh, it's, it's really uncanny how similar everybody's responses are. You have a few outliers here and there. Sure. Um, you have some people that give a five uh, sentence answer to something that, somebody else gives a two page answer to, you know, and, and you can kind of see who pay, who has real attention to detail and who's just kind of going through it uh, and, and probably just listening to the content and, right. and that's okay. And some people go through it and don't turn in anything. Oh, wow. They, yeah. Which is fine. They right. just want to sit and watch the videos and um, I, it doesn't matter to me, but probably the most challenging thing is, is uh, the, the feedback part yeah. of it, you know, Gotcha. Um, so I want to talk about what amazes me in the modern American fire service, modern fire service is generally speaking, the lack of prep. And I know there's exceptions to these rules, but the lack of prep that we give our officers, if you're lucky, you have a mentor that teaches you, you know what I'm saying? And if you're unlucky, then you're just under the wool. Here's your badge. Go figure it out. You know what I'm saying? And I know that that's specifically one of your missions in life is to change that. But, uh, uh, yes, it is. And we're, we're still, um, we're still working on it where I, at my department. Um, I've got a training officer who's a captain who has just put together a phenomenal uh, driver program. He put together and updated our company officer program. And we're currently kind of, kind of got put on hold with this COVID stuff, but we're wanting to start 
changing. So really, where, com- where company officer development comes from is your um, acting captain process, right? It's the if you if you put up all the, it's really about prerequisites and um, uh, qualifications, okay. so to speak, before you get there. So if you can put the right qualifications and the right um, program in place for a person that wants to be an acting captain, uh, then then you've got some of those that infrastructure, so to speak, in place for those people. And then you're just talking about interpersonal communication and, okay. and how they deal with people after that point. Sure. Um, very few of our problems in that realm are operational, a handful, and we will pull acting captains off their position. We'll take them out of that. Uh, it happened just recently that if somebody's not meeting that criteria and those, uh, those expectations and, and all that stuff that we talk about, uh, for acting captain, uh, and, and it's harder once they're promoted, but beforehand, um, we'll, we'll, we'll yank them out of there. Nice. So is the process then, then you have a set of basically, a um, a checkbox of expectations and, and, or. Yeah, kind of. So it's based on, so to be an acting captain is part, a lot of it is contractual with the union. Okay. So we have to play within those guidelines. Sure. It, it doesn't really tie our hands, but sometimes, uh, for example, taking somebody out of that position has to come along with conversation and process with you to ensure that we're not disenfranchising, uh, that we've got, you know, information that right. backs up what we're doing. Uh, the same thing goes for the implementation of that. So you have to be on the department X number of years. You have to be in a certain tier, right? In our in our system, we have different tiers because uh, we run transport ALS. Okay. So if you're in the bottom tier, in five years or eight years or 10 years, I think it's 10 years. You gotta be 10 years before you be acting captain. So if you're in the bottom nine and you've been in the bottom nine for 10 years, you're still not gonna be an acting captain. Okay. All right, you gotta have some experience in the truck. So, um, and then we've got um, some uh, established skill sets that they've gotta be proficient at. They gotta show, uh, they got a little workbook to fill out that they have to work on with their station captain in regards to reports and documentation and, um, if the, you know, kind of the management side yeah, of it. Day to day. And yeah. then they have, yeah, then they had to do so many hours riding the seat uh, with their captain behind them. Um, and, and then if they don't quite, if they're not quite there or they're not comfortable, we just extend it and extend it. And you know, some people get there, some people don't. Right on. And, uh, then at the end, you have to do a uh, evaluation scenarios and some other thing, inbox stuff with your battalion chiefs and the training division. And um, so by then, you have a pretty good idea who's solid and who's not. And uh, it's interesting to watch people that five years in, you wouldn't think they'd ever, they're ever going to get there. Then they right. mature, they age a little bit. That 10-year mark is really valuable, I think. I think it's a... Um, it allows a 22 year old to be 32. Right. Yeah. And people laugh at me, but that's a big difference in maturity. Oh, uh, there's no doubt. How people think and how their behaviors and attitudes are towards things in life in general. Um, it gets them a little bit out of this, uh, you know, 10 years on the ambulance. Uh, get, they, they've kind of accepted uh, things that a five year medic hasn't. And, uh, for us, that 10-year mark has been a really big deal for us. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, it is. 
Um, so after the all the prerequisites are met, and you can kind of get a gauge of who's who's meat and muster and who's not. What's the actual process for becoming captain? Is it a competitive? Uh... So captain, there's a we hire a uh, ergometrics is the first process of that. So so long as they're an eligible acting captain, they can test for captain. Um, and then we hire, the first process is um, uh, ergometrics test. So it's a video based written test. Okay. And it's also a, a psychiatric, a psychological exam at the same time. Um, it's really pass or fail. Okay. Uh, we, we don't, we don't put a lot of stock into the test scores, um, until we have to. So, uh, let's say we got two candidates that are neck and neck at the very end and we're having a tough time deciding and we'll go to test scores okay. and, and see what those look like. But as long as you pass, you move on. Um, and we really don't look at those scores again until later. The only caveat to that is, is if there's a critical failure somewhere in some of that, we will we'll look at that. But by and large, it's pass or fail, and, and they move on to a, uh, a neighboring department has a blue card lab. Okay. Um, we don't do a blue card test, but we do – that department comes over and takes pictures of our buildings um, and sets up simulations. Oh, wow. And then they go in and, and uh, do the simulations. Uh, and it, it's all routine stuff. There's no planes in the nursing homes. Or <laughs> right, all, right. All, I don't even think we have true multiple alarm fires in those. They're, they're literally what they run 90%. Of the, the bread time. and butter. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's based on our first alarm SOG is what they're tested on. Um, and then after that, they, they go to interviews um, and the interview panel um, we changed it up a little bit this year. I'm, the fire chief is not involved. I, I uh, observe, but I'm not involved. Uh, the battalion chiefs and another captain, and um, I don't remember, but but we kind of shook up who interviews them, and then the battalion chiefs pick them. And, oh wow! Uh, then I take that to the board, and they're they're done. It's in. It's in. It's in. Nice. So, Very nice. I, I do. I, yeah, myself and the shopster, we do do an interview with them, but it's more formality. It's okay. really, it really doesn't go to their um, the decision at all. It's just, a, yeah, it's just kind of a, a thing to, to say that, you know, uh, I'll, I'll look at the notes from the interviews, and the, the shopster and I will kind of ask questions, follow-up questions on some of their answers. Nice. Um, but uh, but then it's the, the BCs pick them. Wow. And that, that – I can only imagine that that's a pretty good uh, responsibility. That once that's on their shoulders, they take it pretty seriously. I can only imagine. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I hate promotions. Oh yeah, I hated to. I, 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 I would much rather give a guy a couple of days off than promote, um, because guy getting a couple of days off obviously screwed up. It's usually not a lot of gray area there they, they violated something and it is what it is and we're going to get through and done but right you know, five people going for captain and you got to pick one you're telling four they're not good enough right know, and, and i hate that right it's never happened no yeah uh so yeah officer preparation promotional process uh, switching gears on you i'm going to talk about the long-term effect of this pandemic um jason hobelman chief what do you think uh, your predictions are for how this is going to affect the fire service I think uh, I think long term, you would hope uh, that we're more prepared uh, for whatever comes again. Um, I've already uh, I've got two guys right now. So w- when this thing got started, I got put in charge of North County. I got put in charge of 15 fire departments. 
um, wow. for the St. Louis County. And, and, um, and so we set up a command structure in North County. Well, we did the same thing inside our own department. And so I've got two people in charge of logistics and they're the only people right now. Uh, I, t- I went and I raised the limits on both their credit cards. Uh, they don't have to get permission. Um, they know what we need for PPE and they were allowed to, they had free reign. They just buy it. And now, um, since we've kind of gotten caught up with that, you know, I've told them that we need to have, um, I, I want a minimum of 30 days of supply in these seven or eight things. And, you know, however you go about getting them, just keep us informed. Sure. And I, and I think, and I think that's the key. And, and, and I remember after 9-11, <clears throat> I remember after 9-11 getting our department, every department in St. Louis County got a black bag and it had a level B suit in it. And it had uh, the the cartridge uh, click in for the Scott Air masks, and it had all these different Scott cartridges, and it had booties and all these gloves, and it had the radiation sticks, and it had—I mean, it was full of stuff. And everybody had their own. When they expired, we didn't replace them. Nobody did. They're all gone. You can't hardly find a department in St. Louis County that has them anymore. And and I think that's that's the resistance right and so then people talk about the economics of that and and i would argue that the economics are even better to over a 10 or however long period of time maybe it's months to buy this ppe at a true market value as opposed to what we're paying for it now you're going to come out ahead even if you have to rotate it out every two or three years you're going to save money doing it that way and you're going to have less stress you're going to have less opportunity for exposures and contraction of different viruses or whatever we're dealing with and and i think that's the to me that's the big lesson is that it's going to happen again it might happen in the fall i truly think that if it happens in the fall i think we're ready i think it's going to be so close to this one that anything in the next two years my my guess is we're going to be okay uh, from a from a fire department standpoint I think the big challenge is for the municipal fire departments that are going to lose members unless Congress um, increases the funding for those safer grants and AFG grants to keep people from being furloughed and fire and, and just reduction in engine houses. Right. That, to me, that's the biggest risk. I think you, you start taking these people off the streets, reducing your service level and your capabilities, and then this does come back again next spring in, in a big kind of way. Uh, not only are you not able to serve your community, um, but you're, you're going to be even more stressed and stretched to the limit because of the economic impact this has had on those municipalities. No doubt about it. No. Um, yeah. Uh, Chris Tobin, in fact, I think he's St. Louis fire department. I don't know if you know him or not, but yeah, uh, I know Chris. <laughs> he came on, he was talking about the, uh, the reason Stockton is Stockton is the economic downturn. The reason they fight fire every day is because of the economic downturn. And so his uh, deal was there's going to be a return of the war years if this ec- if, if the economy uh, tanks as bad as it, as it if it doesn't recover like uh, well we'll see what happens but uh, except that the difference will be it'll be lightweight construction the stuff built in 70s 80s and 90s that's going to be burning as opposed to stuff from the turn of the century on forward but anyway it was an interesting take I wanted to run that by you see what you thought yeah yeah I. I don't know that we'll get to the war years kind of thing, but I do like St. Louis city, you know, and Chris will tell you this, there's portions of their fire uh, and there are portions of their city that used to be hotbeds. And now they're just vacant. They're vacant lots because they did burn them and they've been torn down and not a lot of redevelopment in North city. Um, 
but they do St. Louis city. You'd be surprised how many recent developments that they've had um, in and around the uh, interstate 40 and 44 corridor uh, close to the stadium that are lightweight. They're lightweight apartment complexes. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you've been instructing over 25 years. And I want to ask you your secret to staying as engaged as you have been over that span of time and your advice to others on keeping their intensity up. I think willingness to be wrong. I think you've got to be able to, um, you've got to look past your own thoughts and beliefs and, and listen to other people. I think, um, and I think you've got to be engaged and that doesn't mean, you know, some people take that, that, you know, you, you, some, I remember getting made fun of, um, at work in early in my career before our place was a different place for taking vacation and going to FDIC or going to a conference or taking a class and, um, and doing all those things. I remember guys making fun and, and making the comment that, well, you know what they say, those who do do and those who don't teach, you know, and they don't know who Ray McCormick is and they don't know who all those, um, Mike Champo and John, they don't know who any of those people are, right. that are some of the more experienced officers and firefighters in the country, John Mittendorf and Bill Gustin, they don't know who those people right. are. So, um, but the one thing I will, I will say that I've learned from Bill Gustin in particular is that um, you, you have to be willing to put in the time to really learn and be intimate um, with the job. And I learned that, um, as a captain, and I, I'll tell a quick story where I was embarrassed. Okay. Uh, Bill had come to our department to do a class, and Bill's been a good friend of mine for a long time, and uh, I've been fortunate enough that he's taken me under his wing and been very influential, uh, both from a personal level and professional level. And and he came to our department to teach a class uh, when I was a training officer as a captain on a quint. And he came to our, our engine house, and it escapes me now exactly what he asked me, but he asked me something about my truck, and I didn't know the answer. And I was incredibly embarrassed. Oh, yeah. Um, and, 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 but instead of, you know, instead of being, um, and, and, and Bill was gracious and didn't, you know, um, but instead of being um, withdrawn or mad, uh, you, you learn from those types of events and conversations that none of us know as much as we think we do right on and and, and most of us have probably said in a class that we go oh why haven't i known that i've been in the fire service 25 years and i never knew that and having the willingness to to admit that you know i i went to andy frederick's training days years ago and i'm sitting in the state if you've ever been there it's this big it's almost like a Roman Coliseum looking time okay. place, you know, the floors real sunk in the ground, steep seats and um, uh, probably the worst presentation I've ever given in my life. That was, my biggest regret as an instructor was bombing it there. But anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but um, you know, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in this auditorium with two other people from Florissant um, and I'm looking across and I see this guy with glasses and, and he's in the, he's in the third row. He's real close. He's talking to all the instructors at breaks and he's and during class, he's writing at a furious pace for every instructor, people I've heard of people I haven't heard. Of. It's Bill Gustin. Wow. The guy's 35 years on the job at that time or something, you know, and he's the keynote closing the whole conference out and there he is. And so 
those are lessons that I've learned throughout my career, along with people who you'll, you'll never know and who have never taught outside of their own department, is that you have to stay engaged and you never know enough. You, you never you're, you never know enough. Even the things you think you know, there's, so, there's another piece to that puzzle wow. that you haven't heard of or you've forgotten. And, and I, I think that's the key. And, and I think the other part is being an instructor. My instructor tip is that when you teach uh, and you present to whether it's a small department and there's 10 people in there or you're in front of a room of a few hundred, the most important thing that you can do is share things that you struggled with or failed at and and tell them how it happened and why it happened and and how not to do that. Wow. Uh, the, The more vulnerable and the more relatable that you can be to your students, they're going to take away more from that than you up there talking about all your successes. Wow. Okay. So just the connection off your failures, being willing I, I, and able to share them. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. We all no, screw up. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Um, I always ask the guest if they have a book they would like to suggest that firefighters should read, and you are no exception. So I want to hear, and I got to take my notes. So go ahead. Yeah, so there's several, um, and I'm happy to send you a list that I, from my last from last year. Awesome. But there's one, there's one in particular, and it, it's not what you would think it it, it would be. But I read it, um, really not knowing what the book was about. Okay. Um, last year I read two books like that, but this one in particular, in my mind, every officer and firefighter should read, and it's it's really about empathy. Uh, if you get down a story, it's called when when breath becomes air. And uh, it's about a neurosurgeon who, um, through this story, uh, becomes the patient. Oh, wow. It's a true life story. Becomes a patient. He ends up dying before the book's finished, and his wife finishes out some of the book. Um, but it, from cancer, he dies from from cancer. And, and, and you know, the one thing that us in the fire service that I think that we can do a better job of, me and me included, is. Uh, having empathy, not only for the people that we serve, but the people we work with, right? The, the people that do struggle in the firehouse, the people that do come in, uh, this generation Z, okay. That's coming in that have never had to have uh, a saw. They've never had a chainsaw on their house. They've never had to change the oil in their car. They've probably never jump-started a battery because they got AAA. They've never changed a tire. You know, being empathetic to those folks sets them up on the right foot to instead of scorning them and telling them how stupid they are, understanding that um, in that regard, we need to, that's part of teaching. It's just not, it didn't have to get taught to us because we had a different skill set coming out of childhood, but this new generation doesn't. And that's just an example of where I found it, that book to be very poignant and it, it just really struck a chord with me. It's not a leadership book. It's not, a military book or anything like that. But I think there was a lot of value in it. And um, I I found it to be uh, humbling in in some respects. When breath becomes air. When breath becomes air. uh, The guy's name was um, Dr. Paul Kalaniti. And um, it's, it's a good book. You know, it says it's a memoir about his life and illness battling stage four metastatic lung cancer after dealing with patients with like brain and neuro problems, very, wow. very talented, um, very talented, smart person. Um, 
But I, to me, what I got out of that was, you know, empathy. Wow. You know, being, and th- being, this is what's crazy, Chief, is every time I do a scrap, I ask the guest who's, who's someone I respect, and they say, well, this book, and this is why, and, and you got to read the and, and my stack of books that I have to read is just, I'm falling so far behind. So, but now yeah. I've got another one to put on the pile. Yeah, and I listened to it. I, I did it in an audible book, and uh, it was it was really good. Okay, uh, good. I'm gonna have to try. That. I, I'm a big uh, physical highlighter taking notes person, yeah. so I have trouble mm-hmm. with the the list. I listen to podcasts, but almost more for entertainment value than I do for because I yeah. I forget so much if I don't write notes. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> five questions for firefighters. Are you ready? Yep. All right, so here we go. These are five questions. Um, I've updated them a little bit, but as it is, we're just going to keep going and keep collecting the answers. So what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? I got to be honest with you. I think it is um, where and who firefighters are getting their information from on social media. I I, got to tell you, I I see um, the, the instant information, I guess, maybe more accurate is that um, in my opinion, we've seen a renaissance in hands-on fundamental training that is, I think, foundationally swinging our fire service skills back to the positive um, from 20 years ago. But I do have a big concern with um, people that are putting a lot of information out there. Uh, there's got to be there's got to be a vetting process for firefighters and not just jump on these bandwagons when it comes to certain things and ideas and making sure that they're validating that information. Um, and it's kind of struck a chord with me for the last three or four years, but I, I think, you know, I could say training and all those things, but I, I really believe that those tools are available. It's, it's picking through the trash to get to those <laughs> right. good tools. Right. And and a young firefighter is very influential, and I think that they've got to be careful. Absolutely. So instant information, instant unvalidated information. I think so. There you go. Uh, Number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? The younger folks. I I really am. Um, And I can only say this based on my experiences at our own department, but can they be – um, a little arrogant. Can they be a little overbearing? Yeah. But I, I found that when you give them a purpose and why they're doing it, um, and sometimes you, you get into their ass a little bit, right. um, but they're really smart. They're really smart. Um, they are really inquisitive. They really want to know why they're doing what they're doing for, they're not asking it just to be rude or, or, obstinate right uh, they're they're real inquisitive and and they pick up on things really quick they are eager i mean i my ambulances get to run fires right and these are the newest employees in our department and you give them the tools and you give them the reasons and you tell them how important it is and i've got to i've got to we have to get onto them for not racing each other to the fires right, <laughs> right. And, and so um to me that's that's exciting and encouraging that's awesome. And your empathy is showing. So just so you know, Chief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. Best, number three, best rank position to be in in the fire service? Company officer. Company oh, officer, without a doubt. Um, that most influence 
in the department um, and, and has the biggest impact in my mind on any department, whether it's lieutenant or captain. Definitely company. I, you know, that's my answer. So you're the first one who said company officer. I, I've only uh, been doing these for the last four scraps. But uh, and everybody has different reasons for their answers, so you know that no one has to defend them. But that is my I just you're you're at that level where you can still have a tight relationship with your crew, and and uh, yeah, I, I think it has the biggest impact on the culture of a department. Uh, you you've got the most influence in the entire organization at that level. There's I mean you you you'd have a hard time uh, telling me otherwise. Uh, I've been in that position. I've seen I've seen the good ones the great ones uh, that I've got now and what they do and what they get accomplished um, and, and the impact that they have on their members, both good and bad. Yes. You know, oh, yeah. good and bad. It goes both ways. There's no doubt. Yeah. Good yeah. answer. I like that one. Five out of five on that answer. Just so you know, <laughs> All right. uh, best advice you have ever received. Um, I think, I think the best advice I ever received was, um, don't take yourself too seriously. I know it's cliche, but I, I, I really think that when you put it in perspective and in context of what they mean and, and what they mean by that is, um, uh, you know, you have to be, you're not going to fix anything in your career or your department if you don't believe there's anything wrong. So uh, if you're taking yourself too seriously, um, in my experience, others start taking you less so. And, and then any influence that you have had in that setting, whether it's at the company level, the battalion, or, or, or your entire organization, um, you lose that. Um, no matter how accurate your information is and no matter how right you are, uh, when you start putting yourself ahead of everything else, and, and take your and get in your thin skinned and you get mad easy right. and um, it's all about you and, and all those things um, you lose the opportunity to truly impact the people that want to be led and impacted and so the, it, all ranks so from private on up is just don't take yourself too serious take the job serious take your position serious but from an individualistic standpoint take care of yourself but don't take yourself too serious nice okay Final question, and I might have to change this one in the future because, but we'll see what your answer is, and we'll keep 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 tabulating the answers. But it's heavy fire and tenable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Taking the nozzle. Okay. Taking the nozzle. Definitely want the nozzle. Good. And I'll tell you why. Because okay. um, I'm going to make that VES person's job easier. Okay. I was say most people have taken the VES. You're the first guy who jumped on the nozzle. Because no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the whole problem away. I like it. I, they're they're going to be able to walk into the room and, 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 and gaze down the hallway because the fire is going to be out so fast. They're not going to have to worry about the isolate. Not at all. All right. I like it. I like the answers. Thank you for doing the five questions for firefighters, Chief. Um, yep. Best place to contact you to book a class, order a book? Yeah, uh, my, my first initial, jhovelman at gmail.com, or you can go to Facebook, The New Fire Officer, and direct message me there. Um, if you Google, um, I'm pretty easy to find. Fair enough. Um, so, but, but if, uh, yeah, I'm, and if you just got a question, I'm happy to, to take, you know, I, I mean, I'm happy to help. I've had tons of people help me in my career, and they still do, and I'm obligated to, to do the same. That's awesome. Uh, anything you want to, uh, any classes you got? I mean, I know with the 
the COVID-19 going on right now, everything's canceled, but is anything going on for you right now you want to talk about? Uh, you know, no, not really. Um, I'm working on a third book. Oh, nice. Um, and um, there's, uh, there's, like you said, I've had a lot of uh, speaking engagements canceled and postponed. So right now, as far as getting out, but I, I will say this, I'm working on, uh, through the new fire officer Facebook page, I am working on a raffle um, that will hopefully bring me to a department or area uh, in the next 12 months or so. We haven't got all the details lined up for free. Um, and and um, it's in the spirit of this COVID thing and, and people that are going to be impacted economically. And uh, this, this, uh, there's, a, there's a sponsor who kind of, who reached out and talked to me about being a part of it. Uh, details aren't worked out, but there would be two winners uh, that w- would be able to set a date in the next 12 months. And um, the only thing that has to be picked up is my my travel, and that's where the sponsor is looking to. to that's pick awesome. Up that no, I, I actually saw that post. I'm like, man, I wonder if I can do this for my department or if that's being greedy. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be some kind of, uh, we haven't decided how we're going to pick. And I think I'm going to let the sponsor do the vetting of those so that there's no bias on sure. the end. And uh, it wouldn't be purposeful bias, but right. Um, to, but to try to make it as fair as possible. And so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that opportunity to get out there. You know, you, you can't do it for free all the time. You're, you're you just, right. you just can't. Oh, you'd be you'd be stretched so thin. You'd never have time to do anything. Uh, My wife would be happy at all. Um, no, I was going to say. So when I, when you do finalize that, and I see the post, I'll share it everywhere I can and get the word out. Cool. So that'll yeah, be awesome. Um, thank you so much for being the guest number thirty four on the weekly scrap chief. I know you got stuff to go do this evening, but I appreciate your time and letting me pick your brain and answering all these questions. Um, next week, you got me solo doing some Fire Nuggets, Firefighter Quotes, and then the week after that, Mike Gagliano is going to be on the scrap, so everybody come back for that. This week, Chief Jason Hobelman, the new fire officer, no exceptions leadership. Thank you, sir, for coming on and being the guest. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, sir. For everybody out there, I hope the tone stays silent unless it is burning, and we will see you next time. Stay safe out there. Thank you, Chief. You bet. Hey, thanks so much. That was fun. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.